Luke 5. We're in Luke 5. It's amazing to think we've been in this series as long as we have, and we're just at Luke 5, but all is well. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him, listening to the Word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, we're going to change the world. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. It says, from now on, we'll catch men. You will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. They are going to change the world. It just, you know, it's an interpretation. Kind of interesting when you look at this. He's sitting there standing by the lake of Gennesaret also called the Sea of Galilee. See, this lake was, was so large that it depended on where you were at as to what you called it. And uh, it was about three times larger than Lake Washington, if you would, uh, a lot wider, eight miles by 14 miles. Lake Washington is like 21 miles long with little narrow spots. And, and so you look at, at just the sheer size of this, it was a huge body of water. And so if you were in Galilee, you called it the Sea of Galilee. If you're in Gennesaret, you called it the Sea of Gennesaret. And so if you've ever wondered where those are while you're reading stories from Scripture, uh, that kind of opens up a little perspective here if you will, Jesus was teaching on the shore. I love how some stories, and you're, you'll see it as you read more and more of Scripture, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts does it a lot, uh, but it starts, you know, you have a story like this that starts with one day, and you know, Luke is recording the stories that people are sharing about Jesus' life, trying to prove the certainty of Jesus, right? Right? And I could just hear it. Somebody kind of setting the story up, talking to Luke, sharing a bit about what they knew about Jesus, what they saw personally, the things that they had remembered about Jesus, and, and, and somebody in the corner just sitting over there going, oh, yeah, well, one day, by the Sea of Gennesaret, I remember Jesus was teaching, right? I mean, so it's kind of that moment. You can see it, and Luke records it that way. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake, and this narrative takes form. Um, 
How many of you ever worked in like a retail environment where you maybe had a dead end of the day? Like the end of the day was really quiet and you knew you had to have everything at a particular like point of sanitation or cleanup or vacuumed or mopped or whatever, you know, and, and it's so slow that you can always do that before you're supposed to close shop and you get everything ready, but then like five minutes before right? Somebody comes in, and you have to go through the whole process again. It's classic, too, because uh, like if you're working at a latte stand or something, they order the thing that's going to make everything messy, and you're just going, no. And there's a part of you who knows you're representing this business, and you have to do a good job and make it look like you're happy they showed up. But in actuality, you're just really upset that now you're going to stay late and not get paid for it, potentially. So I used to work at Underhill's Finewood Furniture. And uh, uh, it, it, was, it was a sales job. It was, it was salary plus commission. So I'm really not motivated to stay after, right? Uh, one of the things that Underhills was known for, well, not any, I mean, they went out of business by now, but they, uh, they would give out free popcorn. One of the first people to give out free popcorn. You know how they do it, right? You, it's the big oil, butter, messy machine that you can burn if you're not watching it. So, you know, and there's this big container full of popcorn. And, and so outside Underhill's Furniture, you know, for, for kids, free popcorn. You know, you have the big, like, painted on sign. And I remember working at the Everett store, and, and it was classic. You know, it was just dead, especially on the weekends, late on the weekends, and you're sitting there vacuuming up all the popcorn around the store, and you're finally getting ready to close. And sure enough, the family from hell shows up like five minutes before close. Can I say that in a church? Anyway, so uh, they, you know, and just little tyrants that are like, where's the free popcorn? And you're like, I just threw it away. Here, I'll pop some. <laughs> Company smile, right? And you're like, you know, Mr. Underhill would do this. You know, and you're just kind of getting it all ready. You pop it. They grab it. They're just like, ah, ah, jumping on the beds, the furniture sliding down the kids. So it's like they leave after like 20 minutes. You're supposed to have been closed. You have to unlock the door to help them out, right? It's that moment. You turn to others away while they're running around the store. They don't buy anything. And you're looking around at all the popcorn. You're just like, I you know, wow, I love people, right? It was that moment. This was very pre-Jesus. I used a lot of different words then about that moment. But anyway, um, so here I am uh, just, just being challenged, you know. And now, to balance it out, there were plenty of times where I was in the same attitude, the same bad attitude, because you had the family from hell moment, right? And it's like five minutes before close, and somebody walks in, and you're just like, here it goes again, and they buy like 10 grand worth of furniture, and you're like, I love my job, right? So it's totally different. Uh, there, were, there were both those moments, but that's, Jesus is, is about to drop this moment on Simon, right? Because he's on the shore. He's scrubbed up the nets. He's getting ready to pack up, go home, kick back, enjoy the, but Jesus is like, hmm, you me need that boat, and it's Simon's. And I could see James and John over there on the side, sucker, he's in your boat. You know, I was like, peace, we're out. You know, and they're like, but no. Like this moment is, is an opportunity that Simon had to have been incredibly grateful, grateful for in just a moment. It's pretty amazing to think. It was a fisher, fisherman's paradise, this lake, right? So like they had tons 
of, of ships there, but Jesus distinctively points out two, but uh, hops in it and chose, Simon chooses to serve Jesus, and it made all the difference in his life. I mean, who knows that moment where we just lay everything down? Your serving impacts more than just you. Those who you live with, work with, they're watching. And they're deeply impacted by your willingness to connect and serve and share life with, with Jesus and others. It inspires people. In fact, people regard those who are really active, contributing part of what God is up to in the city and in the community. They, they give you a, a higher regard in the end. And, and in our society today, you would say, well, that doesn't make sense. But it's true. You're blessed for being a blessing for sure. And I've seen over and over again people just really responding positively to those who give back and serve quickly and willingly like Simon does here. So in this moment of teaching and exchange, the catch of fish, the dialogue afterwards, this incredible moment of surrender that it concludes with, what can we learn from Luke 5? Uh, there's a few things here that are taught, and really, it's taught to us as vision casters for Jesus and the church, if you would. Today's talk would work and translate really, really smoothly into an environment of trying to inspire future leaders of the church. In fact, this talk would translate right into like a church planter boot camp. As I began to look at this passage and study it more and more, I'm going, oh my goodness, this really helps us clarify our vision this passage. And you'll get it here. So through that lens, realizing vision is a team sport, we're going to dive into this. Vision is a team sport as in the church is not a golf moment where one guy is the master and everybody just kind of, oh yeah, that was, that was a good hit, pastor. Woo, man. Oh, did you see that putt today? Pastor, bonus for you. Christmas bonus. That was a good one, right? You know, it's not that. Church is not that. Church is more like a football game where it takes an entire team to take the ball into the end zone. It takes everybody active on uh, understanding the game. Hashtag no time to sleep. I'm just kidding. That's, I had to go there. Russell is just such an inspiration. Okay, moving on. Point one. That was a total tangent. It's not in my notes. Jaden's back there probably following my notes going, here he goes. This is going to be long. This is going Dave went short on worship. I get to go long on preaching. That's what I said back there. But anyway, so here we go. Uh, it's all about the message. Number one, it's all about the message. Jesus didn't only teach the Word of God in synagogues. And this is a perfect illustration this would be an example of a mobile church, if you would. It's Jesus' style. He shared where there were people willing to listen. So here he is sharing where there are people willing to listen along the edge of a lake. It's not the building that mattered, but the message that was so important for everybody to catch, and specifically catching Jesus' perspective of God. 
love, peace, hope for the future, good news. <coughs> His placement along the edge of a sea was very strategic, actually. He's getting crowded out to where the people that could only hear were the ones closest to him, and, and so he thinks, how can I amplify this? How can I have more people that are crowding in and starting to push me near the water? How can they hear? And so he makes his way into a boat, Simon's boat, whom he just healed his mother-in-law, last week's message, hops into his boat, says, put off a little from shore. Think about it for a moment. How many of you ever go to like a cabin on a lake or you've gone camping next to a lake and you have those people who go by late at night on those like flat tube-like boat things, you know, and they're just trolling along with their little light? You just kind of hear it sneaking out there. And they're talking on that boat. They're just a ways off from shore, but you hear every word they're saying. Well, this is a natural amplification strategy to get a little off the shore so more people could hear the message that was so vital to be heard. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to get away from people. People, ah, right? And get out there like, and just go, well, you tried to hear me, but I'm, I'm gone, man. No, he goes and he sits on a boat so that he can be heard. He loves the people so much, he wants them to comprehend the message. His placement was strategic, just like our placement in the community is strategic and reproducible. This was simple for Jesus to do. I'm asked every week, so when does open life, when do you guys want a church building? It's nice to be able to say our, our placement is, is strategic and it's reproducible. It's in the community, present with the community, and we value that. We highly value that. If somebody donated us a building, we wouldn't turn it down. Could sell it for a good profit. Anyway, so um, we, uh, how many, you know, I mean, I mean, You've gone camping and you've experienced that acoustic moment. That's what Jesus was targeting here. He was targeting that, wanting to be heard. This is Jesus trying to figure out how to teach the Word of God to all that deserve to hear it plainly taught. Preaching's hard work. I'm not saying this for my benefit or anybody else's, but preaching is hard work. And when you, when you study some of the ways that people used to preach and, and in days before sound systems, it's, in, it's crazy. Crowds of like 15,000, 20,000 preachers would get up and they would, they would teach for an hour. It's said of uh, George Whitfield, a, a famous evangelist, he would preach to 15 to 20,000 people without a microphone system. And they had these voices like you could just kind of tell those who could preach without a sound system, right? They've got booming voices, and they don't need a sound system, right? And they would fill a room. But they say George Whitfield would exit the stage after preaching for an hour and cough blood. Sacrificing his vocal cords for the sake of teaching the gospel. So Jesus put out into water, and it was smart. Planting churches in schools, theaters, coffee shops, where the marketplace is busy, just like where this fishing market was busy along the shore of Gennesaret, 
smart, strategic. And we're in line with the model Jesus set. It doesn't matter where God's Word is being taught. It's that we are making Jesus known. Where there is hunger, we must take the gospel. And that keeps me awake at night, honestly. Don't fall prey to the model search syndrome. Well, I'm looking for a certain type of church, Pastor, right? And, and it's just, it happens. I'm, I'm looking for a certain, uh, the kind of church I like is, well, Jesus doesn't have a kind of church He led. It's constantly shifting and changing. If you think church has to look like blank for you to go there, you're in trouble because every church changes. Jesus changed. And we need to be open to whatever method He needs to use to get the message across to people. When we were first meeting in Regal Theater, we actually made a little bit too big deal that we were meeting at the Regal, honestly. Because when it came time that we needed to move or go bankrupt, right? Uh, I don't know what bankrupt looks like when you don't have any money. Okay, it might, might look like, I don't know, but we, whatever would happen, we had to get out of there in, in a place we could afford and schools started opening up. It was actually a tougher leadership challenge to get into a school than I thought because we, would, we had so celebrated the reality that we were in a movie theater. We created our own little monster celebrating it's all about the venue when it really wasn't, it was about the message, Right? And I think that's our challenge today. Church was never meant to, to stay the same, but mold and shift however needed to continue the sharing of God's Word. The message should never change, but the method must. I, you know, I, you've had these conversations with people. I only attend churches where, where I can look eye to eye with the preacher, and uh, if it gets too big, I'm just you know, it's not my church. And, uh, you know, if, if that's our mindset, you would have left Jesus when He got into the boat. Isn't that crazy to think? Like, if that's our mindset, if it, if, it, if it has to be so close that you can hold hands with the preacher when you pray, when Jesus got into the boat, you would have started to have issues. You might have said things like, preacher doesn't get out his cell phone, give out his cell phone number to people anymore. Uh, separating himself from the people, right? <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say this? I, I, this is resonating with somebody, so I'll keep going. <laughs> Thinks he's too good to be close to people anymore. Maybe he just wanted to, uh, maybe, maybe, he, maybe he just wanted us to hear from God, but I doubt it, you know. I think he's got his own agenda. He's playing favorites. That's, that's Simon. I think he was at his house last week. He went to his house for dinner, not mine. Why did he help Simon catch fish? He's hooking Simon up with business. Why didn't he get in my boat, right? You, you can just imagine. You could go anywhere with this. And that's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus just wanted the message to be heard. So why do we make it about us? I don't know. It's, it's, it's so challenging to me, and it's kind of fun. And Jimmy Fallon imitates voices. I figured I could do it. I, I love Jimmy. Okay, so moving on. It's not wrong to use boats, sound systems, computers, digital Bibles, church buildings or schools, coffee shops, barns. 
I knew I'd get a good one out of that. I had to just pause there for a moment. Is the Word of God being taught in a way it connects? Let's celebrate it, right? I mean, that's, that's the objective. Certainly not wrong to train people who can lead people versus trying to do it all yourself. You know, we believe in apprenticing here at Open Life, and it has yet to fully kick in because of our size, but there will be a day where we recognize the fact that, man, we're, we have people like learning how to do everything and like layers of people. And the reason we have to do that is because we want people ready so that we can reproduce. The gospel is needed in every community, not just Bonnie Lake. And what if we reproduce and so we're ready when God opens the door, we can step into the, the next community. We're practiced up. We're ready. We've got laborers so we can have people serving only twice a month and so they can still come and celebrate what Jesus is doing and gathering together. The volunteer model is so reproducible. It's key. We must do that. And we're looking here at Jesus' moment when He recruits His first disciples. Disciple meaning He's going to train them up in everything He does so He can give it away. Again, it's a team sport. It's not golf, this mission that we're on. So here's a, a crazy, amazing look into how he begins this whole journey. Number two, Jesus' knowledge supersedes our expertise. Jesus' knowledge supersedes our expertise. Here's a carpenter getting into a fisherman's boat. We find out he has partners that he calls over. So this is not just a fisherman. This is like a fleet of vessels that fish. These people know what they're doing, and Jesus knows probably how to keep their boat dry, maybe, right? So it's like, but he gets in, and we see this supernatural knowledge thing. Only Jesus saw the harvest before the nets were dropped. How is this possible? Because he's a carpenter, not a fisherman. Where Jesus does do miracles he supersedes our earthly wisdom and knowledge and, and, and actual shock factor, if you will, right? He does it in powerful nature. And there's usually an indication, like when he overcomes nature, there's usually an indication, like where, when he calmed the wind and the waves, it said he got up in the boat and he extended his hands and prayed and the wind and waves stopped. And, and where this is important is you don't read about him. I know the video is kind of cool again, Hollywood that we've been using as a bumper, where he reaches down in and the perspective's down on the water like you're a fish. Oh, look, Jesus' hand, right? And he calms the water. But, but it doesn't say in any of the accounts that Jesus, like, touched the water and fish jumped into the boat. It was more like Jesus had a supernatural, just a, a word of knowledge as to where the fish would be. It may have been the same waters they cast their nets into moments ago, but now the fish are there. Not that he made the fish show up. Does that make sense? It's important to know that because this is a gift that God could use in any of us at any time. He could give any of us a word of knowledge and we could say, you know, I think I should walk home instead of drive and we realize why when there's a car accident. But Jesus says right here, through supernatural knowledge, where you're supposed to drop your nets. He, he, he supersedes their expertise with a simple word of knowledge. Do you have a need at work? Do you need wisdom in your profession? Have you asked Jesus? 
It's sometimes it's hard to think, well, I've been trained in this for years. Like, I've got to know more than, wait, I'm saying I've got to know more than Jesus? Okay, I should pray. You know what I'm saying? If we just put ourselves in check, it's like, oh, yeah, before I decide what I should preach, I should definitely pray. You go, well, yeah, that makes sense. You're a preacher. Before you make that sale, you should pray. Before you commute to work, you should pray. Ask God to show you what you're to do today, how to be a blessing, how to, how to share His love with your coworkers, and how to make the business prosper. Have you asked Jesus which way to go? Kind of interesting to think, right? What's your exp- expertise? And would you be willing to lay that down for Jesus? Because He's asking them to lay it down. Man, I, I just find it humorous that he calls out Peter. He's filled with knowledge, and he just gets timing. And it might be the same water that, that he cruised a million times, but the fish were there this time. And how many times in life have I just not quite sensed it was time yet, and then Jesus says, go, and it was perfect timing. I know that when I was 22, it was the first time I, well, I really was, I'd made a decision to follow Jesus when I was 21, and, and my, my life was a wreck in the area of finances. I was $27,000 in debt, just spent it on stupid stuff like clothes and, and, you know, just credit cards, partying. And I uh, was there in this spot, $27,000. I didn't even dicker on a car before I bought it. I was so not wise. And, uh, and so I find this moment, I'm just in debt like crazy, and I remember the moment where I couldn't pay all my bills. And I had been going to church and had made a decision to follow Jesus, and it didn't make any sense, but I finally just said, after reading a bunch, I was like, okay, God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to surrender the area of my finances to you. It was in the midst of probably a message like this where, where there was just a moment of opportunity to even know that that was something you could do, right? Where you could surrender your finances to the Lord and began to read the Bible and all that it said about giving 10% of your income to the Lord, the whole tithing principle. And, and in our church that we grew up in, we were always, people were always making faith promises for missions and giving above and beyond their 10% to missions. And, and so I was being challenged with those things all the time, hearing it a lot. And so I finally just said, okay, this makes no sense. I can't pay my bills. This seems wrong, honestly, but I'm going to do it. God, and I had all my bills on a desk. And I remember just placing my hands on them and just going, Lord, here's my finances. I began to tithe and make a missions-like pledge and it was crazy. A couple years later, I was out of debt. Like everything turned around. That area of stress and weight in my life, was it hard? Was it? Yeah, it was hard. It was, it was a discipline to get used to. Sometimes I'm going, should I really be cutting this check first when I have all these bills? But God took care of it. And there's so much I still look at the taxes at the end of the year every once in a while and go, God, how do you provide like this? But He'll show you where to drop your nets. 
I just don't know how to explain it other than if you surrender in every area of your life. But for me, it was the area of finances that I had to let down my nets. And my dad was an accountant, and I was great at math, and I thought I had this all together. Yeah, $27,000 in debt together. But I laid that area of my life down, and blessing after blessing came my way. And uh, I give God the praise to me, it was truly, after a couple of years, it was like this fish moment for Peter, where he's just like, God, get away from me. I'm a sinner. Okay, you know, I'm constantly like, Lord, I have no idea how you do this with my finances, but you are amazing. And honestly, that same faith has rolled right into open life. When a school comes and says, will you buy 100% of our school supplies? Wow. Okay. God, here's the net, right? Surrender. And it took action by faith. And uh, I, I mean, don't let the water fool you. You might be in the same water you've always been in, but if Jesus is challenging you to drop the net, do it. Do it. Become Jesus' disciple. Becoming Jesus' disciple is, is about you growing in obedience to His lead than leading others to follow in your example. And that's exactly what Peter was doing. And he didn't realize it. He was being set up, right? He was becoming an illustration, Peter was, as he dropped that net. So point three, your choice, miracle or movement. It's easy to see all the amazing things Jesus has done and, and cling to those so tightly we miss what is ahead if following faithfully with Jesus. Jesus got out of the boat and started walking, and there's a miracle in these boats. And they got out of the boat and followed Him, immediately leaving everything, the best catch of their life. That, that's hard to imagine. Jesus, you said, give my finances to you, and I just inherited like tons of money. Thank you, Lord. Give it all to the poor. What? God, I just sold a piece of property. This is incredible. This is, can't wait to reinvest it. Give some to the Lord. Huh? Follow what now? Right? Have you had those moments where you're just like, yeah, you're all nervous? Let's say the boat is the church and the nets are the people because I believe that is the illustration we're looking at. The boat was not meant to be on the shore. For Jesus, the boat needed to be a little ways out and then in deep water. Boats are meant to be out in the water. Take your net out where it can catch something, right? It just takes one person in one boat to let down the nets to result in revival all around. And that's what I love about the church, not just this church, but all churches in the community, going after the community together. Because there's going to be some that we're going to need, there's going to be harvest where we can't take it all in. And in this instance, there was such a harvest, it was sinking, or it was tearing the nets, but it was sinking the boats as well. If we trust Jesus and let down our nets, the harvest will fill more than one boat. And we should be in constant scramble mode because so many people want more of Jesus that we can't keep up with it. 
and the boat's looking like it's going to sink. Not because it's shrinking, but because it's so full we can barely handle it. That's what I see in the future. That's what I see when, when we begin to lead people, when all people are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. You get sinking boats. They don't all hop, they don't all hop in this boat, but they'll hop in a boat when fish are caught. When the harvest comes, we won't know all the fish by name. Back to a tough one, right? I mean, the pastor called me by the wrong name. I'm so hurt. I did that today. It was so funny. Called Nancy Helen when she walked in. And it was this weird moment, right? I'm like, you get in this spot where where all of a sudden, I'm always one. I'll rather go for a name than like not remember a name and just say, hey, dude, right? I just, I'm just going to go. I'm going to risk a name. And when I toss it out there and it's wrong and you're going, wait, that didn't feel right. That's not at all. That name doesn't match this face. Oh, shoot. I forgot, you know. And, uh, and so I, uh, but the, it's funny that that was in my notes, actually, Nancy. Uh, but thank you for letting me illustrate that very personally earlier back there when I introduced you to Ida. But, you know, some people are like, that's it. The pastor didn't know my name. And uh, I'm out of here. This place is so big, the pastor doesn't know me by name. But you know that that happens all the time. Is it really that important? I know, doesn't Starbucks get like happy points from corporate if they know people's names or something? Do they? Yeah? So I was like, you know, I love sometimes when you go and they're like, hey, Thad. And you're like, hey, new Starbucks barista. I don't know your name, you know. And you're just like, Shoot. You want the reciprocal. It's like if you get a Christmas card, you're like, oh, I didn't send them one. <laughs> you know, get it in the mail. Will it get there in time? Oh, no. They're going to know I sent it after. <laughs> Knowing people's names sounds cool. If you're old, you may remember the show that, that made this song a little bit famous, Making Your Way in the World Today. Takes everything you've got. Do you know this, right? Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes we want to go where everybody knows your name. Boom, 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 boom. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Right? You know. You want to go where people know. People are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Karaoke brought by Cheers. Thank you very much. No. They, uh, sounds great in a song, but the church is never meant to be that venue. That's what groups are meant to be for. Right? I mean, if that's such an undue expectation to put on a public space, do you go to a concert and the musicians up there playing and they're just like, hey, Thad, good to see you in the back row. Woo! You know, and that just doesn't happen. And uh, unless it's like Bieber or something, you know, he's like, he sang one of my songs for Christmas. It meant a lot. No, he doesn't do that. Is he even still singing? Okay, moving on. This is not a picture of the church. It's a picture of groups to have everybody know your name. And I think the reality is we need to We need to be people who would strive to have close, significant relationships with one another. 
as we grow in our relationship with God, but, but the reality is the church has to be the church outside of the gathering in order for this place where everybody's troubles are on the table and we know each other's names. That's what's going to happen in a group context. We need to resist trying to keep Jesus on the shore. He needed disciples who would serve Him and spread the gospel and reproduce themselves, and somehow they did it over and over again, and here we are today celebrating still the message that God sent His Son for us, that we could put our faith in Him and have eternal life, forgiven of all sin. We are the laborers now, and we have opportunity around us. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, and the labors are few, and He illustrates it here in this catch of fish. There are cities asking for open life to bring what we have lived out here in Bonnie Lake. And it's weird to think, because it's not like we're a megachurch or anything, right? It's like, why would they come to us and want this? I mean, I've asked that at times. When you're sitting down this week, I had a missionary to Netherlands hanging out with me on Thursday. And it was funny because he didn't notice how he didn't come to hang out and watch what we do on a Sunday. He came to see what I did out in community during the week. Came to a chamber of commerce luncheon and, and went to Starbucks, my office, and had a dialogue. And here he is getting ready to plant churches in Netherlands and, and, and wanted to observe, what is this that you do that gives such favor in a community? See, what we're modeling is something a little bit unique. And other communities do ask, when are you going to start an open life here? When can there be a group of people so concerned about their community and their local schools? Let's talk about the net for a second. So that's the boat, the net. The net was never meant to be in the boat or on the shore being mended and cleaned permanently. The net's purpose was for a catch of fish. The net actually gets stronger. The, nights, the knots become stronger when there's tension in it, when it's got a catch of fish. The net was meant for harvest and, and constant use. Better the risk of the net tearing from a great catch than the deterioration from constant cleaning with no purpose. And I think we can see the tie-in here and the illustration. This is for the church today where we get so tempted to just create spaces where it's Christians gathered, Christians gathered, and we just kind of scrub and clean and look at the nice net. But we are the net. And we're supposed to be connected strategically together and let down in community so that we can catch the harvest that is plentiful and awaiting us when we walk out of these doors. You connected, linked in faith for the harvest. You're the net. You're significant. In fact, I, you know, I, I look at this, this element of a knot, and I go, you know, there's usually like four strings. If we're, if we're not really tied in, and if we don't have four strategic connections here, we need to, to Find out how to get connected. Groups are a great venue, but we need to come earlier, stick around late, and, and begin to meet people so that we can really be connected. So the net is firm and strong when we go out from here and make an impact because the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. The workers link together. All of us inviting, it's a net. All of us sharing stories in community, it's a net. 
All of us being generous, it's a net. All of us serving in community, when we go and we put our faith out there and say, sure, we'll take on like the tent at Bonnie Lake Days, or sure, we'll take on serving once a week at a school, or sure, we'll take on, when we show up for that and get out of our comfort zone, we're a net. I'd rather break because of the harvest than wear out from constant idleness on the shore. And I see that Jesus is setting a pretty firm illustration here. You know what's interesting? The net had to be let go in order for the harvest to be brought in. And the church was never meant to be a place that just keeps people, but that trains people up and sends them out. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, right? A net becomes united, it's tight, all of us doing work. Unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who's the head, that is Christ, from Him the whole body, joined held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Right? The net. When we're thrown in together, we can catch a harvest. When we're all in together, we can see a harvest. Just so you know, none of us hold on to our roles tightly around here. Speaking all the way to myself, like, you know, like I said before, apprenticing is going to be key for our future. What is called discipleship here in Scripture. Follow me as I follow Christ, right? I, I love raising up communicators. I love watching us train new sound people. I love watching musicians up here lead and, and bringing on a new uh, worship pastor doesn't mean that, that they're on the platform every week. That's not leadership. Leadership reproduces. Why? Because of Buckley. Because of Enumclaw. Because in South Prairie, there's not one church. Because in Prairie Ridge, 4,000 people, not one. Well, there is one right on the edge of it. To Halle going in, there's going to be hundreds and, and thousands of people up there eventually. Wilkeson, Ording, Auburn, Milton, Edgewood, Fife, Puyallup, Seattle, Tacoma, Netherlands, Surabaya, Ethiopia. Get it? Some of you one day are going to pastor an open life church somewhere. That made your depends come in handy today, didn't it? Don't get me dreaming, it's dangerous. The scale that I see possible. If we stay uncomplicated and love Jesus and love people, all things are possible. But are we going to be those who would be willing to take the boat wherever Jesus says take it and drop the nets wherever he says let go? The labor is going to come with challenges. There's going to be moments when the net tears and the boat's almost sink. 
Peter recognizes that this is way beyond him. He already fell at Jesus' feet and said, get away from me, I'm a sinner. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't come to call perfect people to reach perfect people. He came and he sought and he found some quality, surrendered people to lead sinful people to him. He came for the lost, not the found. And you and I have that same job and and that same commission. We're supposed to be partnered together. We're supposed to be the net going out into the community and we're supposed to catch people. And I'm just humbled when I look at this and go, man, what am I willing to do? Where am I willing to go? Am I willing to leave the miracle on the shore and pursue Jesus? On the back of your connection card, there's a bunch of potential what's what's the next step for you? And I want you to contemplate that as, as Dave leads this song, just saying, in my heart, Lord, wake it up. What's, what's awakening in you? What does God need to awaken in you? Does he need to awaken you being connected and part of the net? Do you just need to volunteer, put yourself out there? What needs to be awakened in you? Do you need to lay down your perception of the church? Do you need to allow Jesus to get off the shore in your mindset? Where are you at? What are you willing to give up for Jesus? Maybe you need to surrender in some other area we've not even connected with today. You're given a glimpse of the potential of the reward of following Jesus here as he calls his first disciples. I pray that that would challenge each one of you. God, I thank you for the gift we have of your word. And I thank you, there's so many lessons in just these 11 verses. You're strategic, you're planned, you want to reach all people. You have a message that needed to be clarified. That God was not a harsh ruler or just wanted to wipe all people out who made one bad choice, but you were filled with love and grace. You sent your son to take our place on a cross and raise three days later so that through faith we can have eternal life. So I pray that, Lord, if somebody's here today and they've yet to choose to follow you, they would do that now. If somebody's here and they're inactive in their faith, they would find out, man, what can my expertise offer Jesus? They would just say, here I am, use me. Maybe others need to surrender something that's way deeper today. I just pray as Dave leads this song that there would be that breakthrough of surrender in their spirit, in their heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.